All our dirty secrets start here. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is The Good Shepherd. Welcome to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we are covering The Good Shepherd, starring Matt Damon. And we have a very special guest with us here today, Dexter Ingram, who is a member of the Spy Museums, what is it, the advisory board or which of which of the boards? I forget. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the Spy Museum advisory board, um, yeah. but I also do a few other things too. <laughs> yeah, we've got a full bio here. Let me read that out for you. Dexter Ingram is a counterterrorism and counter weapons of mass destruction strategist with over 25 years of experience. He has served as an advisor to the Special Presidential Envoy for the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS, Senior Counterterrorism Advisor to Interpol in Lyon, France, Senior Political Advisor in Helmand, Afghanistan, Deputy Director of the State Department's Preventing WMD Terrorism Team, and a Senior Liaison to the FBI and DHS. Dexter has led many U.S. interagency delegations to Asia and Africa, focusing on nuclear proliferation deterrence. In 2010, Dexter became the first U.S. recipient of the International Counterterrorism Fellowship at the National Defense University. He has focused extensively on how information sharing through law enforcement channels ensure American safety. Ingram began his career as a naval flight officer, fueling his dedication to public service. Dexter serves on the Spy Museum's advisory board, and he is actively involved in educational initiatives that empower underserved public schools. What does the Spy Museum advisory board do? So it's kind of cool. Uh, it's made up of a lot of former folks who do national security work, a lot of CIA folks, um, a lot of FBI folks, and just a lot of counterterrorism folks in general. It's something that I thought I'd be able to do when I retired, and, and it just happens that I'm still working for the government, and I'm able to be a part of the advisory board. So uh, wow. it's been a good thing. That's good. Cool. Dexter, I know the folks can't see it at home, but he has spy stuff on all the walls behind him. He's got an American's poster. It looks like a trophy case that says spy on it. Yeah, that's my gadget collection. I have um, a lot of movie props uh, from James Bond. Obviously, everybody <laughs> has so James cool. Bond props. <laughs> but then I, I have, you know, things from I Spy, Man from Uncle. Um, and then I have real life uh, gadgets from the CIA, KGB, Stasi, the French Resistance. Um, wow, it's it's fun. I've been collecting for about thirty years now. What's your favorite item you've collected? See, I go in phases. So right now, I would say I, I'm into Escape and Evasion from World War II, which kind of oh, ties cool. into the movie that we're going to be watching or talking about. Uh, you know, I have this comb that has a hidden compass inside of it. I have a lot of chess pieces that were mm. used to send the prisoners of war so they could help you know help them escape and find mm. them like, their way home. Uh, gosh, I have this. Bayer cipher. That's the Danish Bayer cipher from 1907, and it's about one of six in the world. Oh wow! So nice. When you get those rare nuggets, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It sounds very cool. So this is a very special episode for two additional reasons besides Dexter being here. Oh, the first is we are announcing our merch store. Oh yes. If you uh, love this podcast so much that you want to get a Spy Fi Guys branded item, go to redbubble.com slash people slash the spy dash fi guys. Their link will also be in the description. Yeah, so they've got hats, t-shirts, pillows if you want them, all sorts of fun stuff there. Yeah. So that would be supporting the show. Thank you in advance if you decide to do that. And also we are announcing a new segment this time around. (laughs) 
It's, uh-huh. We're so doing should this. We just get, should we just get right into that? I think sure. that'd be the first thing Why we do. Not? So I got this idea. Got or stolen. Got the idea, stole the idea, yeah, from the Delta Flyers with Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil. They do a poetry synopsis of every episode of Star Trek Voyager they cover. So I thought we would do that here. Christian refused to be a part of it. So this time, <laughs> it will just be me until right. he changes his mind. So I created, wrote a haiku and a limerick summarizing the movie for your listening pleasure. All right. So first, let's do the haiku. CIA is born. Job causes problems at home. Wilson is so sad. <laughs> that was deep. Okay, oh, and wow. if you like that, All here right. comes the limerick. All oh, right. <clears throat> there once was a young man called Ed who leaked national secrets in bed. When the Reds played it rough, his dad was too tough, so they killed his fiance instead. <laughs> That was actually pretty cool. Oh, Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, that, that You know what? Kudos to you, Zach. Cause I, I, and I will let you take over this because I don't think I'm that creative. Uh, creative I'm company. impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Nobel Prize, here I come. All right. So oh. here's the actual plot summary from IMDb before oh. we get started. The tumultuous early history of the Central Intelligence Agency is viewed through the prism of one man's life. Yeah. Short, succinct. So we start with this recording of a couple having sex. It's a really on really grainy film. And that's sort of in our opening credits. We meet our protagonist, Edward Wilson, played by Matt Damon. He's putting together a ship in a bottle. This is April 19, uh, 16, 1961, one day before the Bay of Pigs. We see a fun bit of trade craft with a dollar bill and some serial numbers. And then Wilson tells CIA director Philip Allen that the odds of success are high. Smash cut to a newscast with the failure of the Bay of Pigs. Wilson's right-hand man, Bracca, thinks there's a leak. Wilson returns home to find an envelope with pictures and a reel-to-reel tape. It's the recording from the beginning. He plays it over and over again. Meets with FBI agent Murak, played by Alec Baldwin. Um, Mm. He tells Wilson that this isn't good for the CIA, leaves his hat. There's a bit more tradecraft with a hat and a dry cleaning receipt. Now, I was like, thought about this when I heard Dragon. I was like, is this a counter uh, counter surveillance pun? Because, you know, that's t- commonly referred to as dry cleaning when you're trying to lose a tail. I hadn't heard that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, but I, I think this is just straightforward. Just straightforward. But I was like, you know, maybe it's a, got levels to it. You uh, know, the whole it taking place in 1960s made me think it was going to be the Cuban Missile Crisis because the movies love doing that. That's true. That we have covered many a movie which dealt with the <laughs> Cuban Missile Crisis. But mm-hmm. this is. One year and, what, five months-ish earlier than that? Did that math right? No. Six months earlier. Um, mm. He gives the envelope and recording to Bracca and calls his son, who's been trying to reach him. And we go to our very first flashback to 1939 in Yale, where Wilson is inducted into a secret society, Skull and Bones. Wow. There's a lot of hazing going on, which Wilson isn't really into, but... After he gets through it, he's told that he's made it. But first, he has to tell a story that no one else knows. And he tells a story about his father's suicide and about how, you know, his father committed suicide, but he hid the note and never read it. So can I jump in about Skull and Bones? So this really brought me back. Do you guys remember in the Bush administration when people were like, George Bush was part of Skull and Bones? And it was like an Illuminati thing that they were like (laughs) conspiring to like, I don't know, take over the world or something like that. I vaguely recall that, yes. Well, yeah, I remember. I, I was, um, 
it, I remember a lot of his buddies uh, from Yale, you know, were ambassadors uh, during mm -hmm. that time. But but they were actually really smart, really good people. But but that that goes a long way. You know, it kind of reminds me of the whole Yale pill and mail um, mm. kind of saying that we used to have at the State Department, which, you know, is somewhat still true. But it, we're getting away from that more looking at the, the, the movie, uh, especially the beginning scenes and then throughout the 50s and 60s, Yale pill and mail. That's what mm -hmm. you saw. Mm -hmm. very true so Zach I have to wonder uh -huh. the, the whole um, haiku and limerick is that tying into the poetry that we see sort of woven throughout this movie no it wasn't it's just a coincidence Completely coincidental. I, I actually right. came up with some for the tuxedo as well but we're not yeah. here to talk about the tuxedo <laughs> so I can tell you tell this to you where yeah, well, so speaking of poetry, so we see Wilson in a poetry class. His Frederick, or his teacher Fredericks, who's played by Michael Gambon, is revealed to have Nazi sympathies, and Wilson meets with FBI agent Sam Murek for the first time. Murek um, recruits him to spy on Fredericks, and they manage to get him kicked out. Yeah, this Around was this, interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting way to start the movie. Mm -hmm. Around the same time, he also meets Laura, a fellow Yale student who's deaf. And while they're on a date, they hear that England and France have declared war on Germany starting World War II. Unlike what Pro, the movie Pearl Harbor told us, where he's, one character proudly proclaims, I think World War II just started. Yeah, no, it started years ago for everyone else. Mm -hmm. But you still like that movie. I do still like that many movie. Many issues. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Laura and Wilson are about to sleep together when Laura has second thoughts. And we... Go back to 1961, where F JFK is making his big speech after the Bay of Pigs. Wilson is visited by Deputy Director Hayes. He says that only a few people knew the details, so there has to be a leak. We go for our next flashback to 1940, the annual Skull and Bones dinner. Wilson meets Philip Allen, and as well as Clover Russell, who Clover is a sister of a fellow Bonesman. Clover played by uh, Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. And what did, yeah. did you guys think of Angelina Jolie as this part? I thought she was good. Like, I mean, I think previously before I'd seen her mostly action things and, and like, you know, your Tomb Raiders and whatnot. So, because uh, I had seen this movie before. So when I saw this the first time, I was impressed with like her being able to portray Clover slash uh, Margaret throughout the years and actually show a change in herself. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know, when you, she played Clover and she was kind of antsy, especially at the point you're talking about now, you know, she played it well. And then towards the end, when he pulls her on the dance floor, she looks older, frail, you know, kind of worn. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is just me, but I'm so used to seeing her as like an action hero, like Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. Also, she's like too attractive to be like a normal person. It's like weird. <laughs> Used to her being like a super spy or a superhero or something oh, like, like that. Oh, like in or something. Yeah, yeah some, someone larger than life. How's uh, that? Okay. Well, this movie took a lot of people that had that action star mentality, and it just kind of numbed them down a little bit, got a little oh, yeah. cerebral, and, and got deeper. Some people might say, well, I'm not going to go too far into it, uh -huh. but it was almost like reading a book. It was like real life. Real mm -hmm. life isn't full of action. Real life has its moments that are drawn out. So I, I see your point. Yeah. So Clover flirts with Wilson and they end up sleeping together. Uh, Wilson at this time also meets Bill Sullivan, who this is this is Wild Bill Donovan, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Without a like, doubt. There's others who have you know supposed to be analogs, but that one's like the most clear one for me. Like, oh, that's definitely Wild Bill Donovan. Okay, wait, I want to go back to them getting together. Okay, so sure. In, in the scene 
where they sleep together on the beach, Edward is literally just sitting there saying nothing, and she's like all over him. Mm. I was like, wow, what's this guy's secret? Is it the classes? <laughs> she knows it's what the, she wants. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's so. The quiet and, and enigmatic persona. Yep. <laughs> where are we? Oh, yeah. So, what Bill Sullivan, who I'm going to struggle not to call Bill Donovan. <laughs> Uh, he's looking to recruit patriotic young men for a foreign intelligence service. Wilson is on a date with Laura when Clover's brother finds him and reveals that Clover is pregnant. So Wilson is forced to marry Clover. And yeah. literally during their wedding reception, he's given his orders to go join the OSS in Europe. So I was reminded of Pearl Harbor. Again, oh. we're talking about Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I thought there was going to be more of this whole... So do you remember in Pearl Harbor, I talked about the two kinds of men in Hollywood. There's there's the nice guys and the bad boys, right? So okay. in this in this movie, you have the nice girl and the bad girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought there'd be a little bit more of that, but instead he just marries the bad girl yeah. and off yeah. you go. Yeah. So back in 1961, Wilson is having the photographs analyzed. Uh, we find out that from the CIA text that it's made on Russian film stock. They point out a lot of the things that are distinctive in the photos, like the mosquito netting, the wood. There's On the recording, there's a sound of an airplane and a French accent. So they're just trying to narrow down from all these big details into the little ones to figure out, all right, what narrows it down to where this photograph is taken? Yeah, this was the best part of the movie, I thought. <laughs> at, at least the most spy-like part. Fair. Well, there's, I mean, I, there's a lot of tradecraft stuff that I like, and we'll get to it some more in our next flashback where we go to 1941, London. Wilson has arrived. There's some fun, sneaky stuff with a tailor that definitely reminded me of Kingsman. Uh They literally go into the dressing booth, and there's a secret doorway. He meets with Philip Allen again, who has to get up to, well, I guess for the first time, probably, because he met him in the present. And he has to get up to speed really quickly. He actually sees his former teacher, Fredericks, the one who he got kicked out of Yale, who we find out was British intelligence, and Wilson ruined a two-year op of his. Hmm. Well, maybe he should have been a little bit less obvious about what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. So we he also meets for the first time, for him, but not for us, Ray Brocco, who is former Army intelligence, who becomes his right-hand man. Now, throughout this, Frederick treats, teaches him the trade, shows him all sorts of tradecraft for counterintelligence. Wilson also meets Arch Cummings from British intelligence. Mm-hmm. Now, Wilson gets a call that his son was born, and pre- pretty much simultaneously, Cummings reveals that he- he's found a new mole. He brings in another American, Hayes, who is also a bonesman and one of his friends back in the day in Yale. Cummings reveals that Fredericks is gay and that some of his partners are suspicious people who could be moles or leaks. So Cummings asks them to take care of this before someone else does. So the thing about him being gay, I haven't actually read this book yet, but I've seen in a lot of magazines and online, there's this new book out called Secret City, A Gay History of Washington, D.C. I've heard of it, not read it, yeah. You think, based on the title, it's about, like, gay activism, but it's not. It's about, about, like, gay politicians and spies who, them being gay, causes issues for them, like blackmail or scandal and and so on. So apparently it's a bit more going on than you'd expect. I Mm -hmm. definitely want to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So Wilson talks with Fredericks to convince him to retire. Fredericks refuses. And 
gives somehow already knows what the codes the code signal to that uh, he refuses is to so he does it himself which is tying wilson's uh-huh. shoe tells wilson to get out while he still can and then he is killed and even though it is definitely you know a hit it's made to look like a random mugging and they toss his buddy into the thames it, it wasn't the traditional kind of silent kill it was no. loud it was painful it was torturous and it, it pulls at you. Oh yeah, and I think it was intentional for because this is the first time that Wilson sees someone get killed in this line. So, and especially someone who he worked with or thought was on his side. So if he has to really feel that, yeah, not like you could tell. Well, it's true. Maybe, maybe. Well, not we <laughs> as his as his surrogates feel that. Maybe he doesn't, but you know. Mm. <laughs> He's emotionless, but but throughout yeah. the movie, you have those moments of kind of, ah, is this happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. Back in 1961, CIA Tech Services, they discover that there was a word that was sort of silenced in the recording, which was cochinos, which is Spanish for pigs. Mm. And they also discover the sound of church bells. And we go to our next flashback in 1945, where we find out that Edward Jr. is almost five and World War II is over. So they, I thought there would be much more, like when I remember seeing this, I thought, thought there was much more in that World War II section. But it's all right, World War uh, 1941 all the way to 1945 and just compressed. Like all the video games that take place <laughs> between there. Yeah. So World War II is over, but the Cold War is just starting. Uh, Philip you know, Allen. was interesting to me though. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. When he came back, his son, you know, said, "Mother said you're in the war. Did you fight? Did you kill anybody?" And he said, "No." And, and that touched base with me because you know I worked for Interpol for a few years. I, mm-hmm. I spent two years in Afghanistan in Helmen getting shot at. I, I I was with the FBI for three years. I'm a State oh, wow. Department diplomat, and you know I get kids and my kids ask me when things come up. You know, did you kill anybody? And and you have the same answer, no. Uh, but you're involved in the mix. And it's, mm. it's, it's hard to kind of parse the, the pieces there, but that, that stood out. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kids are always asking that, at least in <laughs> movies, and I guess in real life yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, they are. Kids, uh, wow, my daughter is only four months old at this point, so she hasn't started asking questions yet about things, but I've heard from Personal everything. <laughs> yeah, that they will ask questions about any and everything. Yeah. Philip Allen tells Wilson that they need to get anyone useful out before the Soviets can get them. Wilson is interviewing a bunch of former Nazis. One claims to know where V2 scientists are, so this is like Operation Paperclip stuff. Mm -hmm. It also feels like a video game. (laughs) Uh, His interpreter during his interviews is half deaf and kind of reminds him of Laura. And mm-hmm. Brocco tells Wilson that the Soviets want to do a prisoner swap. So Brocco and another Russian are discussing terms of the swap while Wilson meets his Soviet counterpart, Ulysses. And Ulysses tells Wilson that their code name for him is Mother. <laughs> so back in 1961, the Techs have identified the brand of fan, but they can't figure out there's a blurry thing on the nightstand and can't quite figure out what that is. So we go back again to Berlin in 1945, where Wilson calls his son, finds out that his wife is having an affair, and seemingly in revenge, she has an affair with his interpreter, who, like I said, reminds him of Laura. Yeah, he, he uh, that's his big weakness. Yeah, yeah. 
So he realizes, though, after they sleep together, that his interpreter is a Soviet asset and has her assassinated. I wasn't sure how he figured this out, though. Well, he, he could see that her listening device had a recording device attached oh, to it. Oh, is that what that was? There was yeah. a zoom in on the, the hearing <laughs> device. I didn't realize that's what I was supposed to say, trying to say. And, and then I think after the, you know, his mentor was, was killed, you know, now he's starting to really get into the life and death side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he could, he could take no chances. Yeah. So he, you know, tells some of, oh, some of his uh, colleagues that, you know, that he let a stranger into his house, into our home is the code phrase. So has her assassinated and then sends her earpiece to Ulysses. Yeah, his kid needs to ask more precise questions. He needs <laughs> exactly. to ask, did you have anybody killed? Right, yeah. So Wilson returns <laughs> home in 1946. He meets his son for the first time. Clover now goes by Margaret and reveals that her brother died in Burma two years ago. Oh, and, and he, he, like, didn't know about it. Yeah, that he was had really no weird. idea. Yeah. Well, the, the whole dynamic when he gets back is weird. And also, his kid is creepy. It's like a creepy <laughs> kid from a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, 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 like, I guess I didn't realize until this point that he hadn't been home that entire time. Yeah, you didn't know vacations? Yeah, all right. <laughs> so... She confesses that she cheated on him once, and he also reveals that he did as well. And seemingly the same day, Bill Sullivan recruits him for a new foreign intelligence service for peacetime. He'll be in counterintelligence and says that this time there'll be civilian oversight, which I thought was interesting. Like that, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that OSS didn't have any civilian oversight, but that makes sense, I guess, in, war, in times of war. I mean, if it's a military. Everything Division. changed after World yeah. War II. I mean, yeah. like, you had the United Nations, you had the CIA, you had the more mm-hmm. oversight. Uh, you, you know, you had the Air Force. You didn't even have the Air Force prior. You had the Army Oh, yeah, Air that's Force. right. It was Army Air Force before Everything changed. So you had yeah. basically World War II and 9-11 really changed key parts of how we do things. Yeah. And I like Cap Sullivan here, who's played by uh, Robert De Niro, who's the director of the film, has this big speech about sort of, you know, the CIA has to be, can be eyes and ears, but it shouldn't become the heart of America. Yeah, which I didn't really understand that. Does the OSS the heart of America? Like, no. No, no. But I, I, I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> I think he always felt this way. I think he felt this way, especially as, as the war went through, that, you know, eyes and ears, listen, you know, protect, but like your soul, your heart and soul uh, of America should be, you know, family. That's kind mm-hmm. of where he was going. If you saw him in the lawn later, he says, this is a great place to, to raise a family. Mm-hmm. So we go over to still in nine, well, actually I don't, there's not a specific date on this. I, I think it's into the forties and fifties where they go to a CIA E Street complex, which living in DC, I was like, wait, E Street? I wonder where on E Street. <laughs> yeah, I liked all the DC landmarks. There were yeah. a bunch in the beginning too. Oh yeah. It would be funny if it was, you know, now where E Street Cinema is because they're watching mm. a film. Right. All comes uh, full circle. Yeah. Uh, so they're watching this film about how, or like a recording about how the Soviets are taking over in South America in an unspecified South or Central American country. Wilson notices Ulysses in the film and they make a plan to disrupt the coffee, tr- uh, which is sort of the big money maker for the Soviets down there. They send a bunch of um, bugs to ruin the crop. I was like, it's water striders. <laughs> yeah, tying back to the tuxedo from last week. Right. And like before, and they're sending some people down there. And before they send them down, Wilson tells one of them, don't wear your class ring. But 
later yes. on, he gets sent a can of coffee with a finger in it that has the class ring on it. So, yeah, that guy did not follow directions from Wilson. <laughs> yeah, I like that part. It's like a mob movie. Yeah. So Wilson makes a call in the middle of the night, and his he sort of ignores his son who had a nightmare, and his son overhears the call. And we also get a dinner party with Clover's friends, and Clover has told uh, those friends that Wilson works for the CIA, but Wilson, like, completely undermines her, and they have a big fight afterwards. Yeah, this was interesting. I did like this part. I, mm-hmm. Clearly, they, they don't communicate that well. No, Which no, really makes sense, considering how they got together in the first place. Mm-hmm. But uh, is this the part where she's like, I, can, I don't know what you do, and it's, like, driving me crazy that I don't know what you do? Yes, I think so. There's a couple of times where they have big fights like that, but I think this that is that this is that time. So well, I thought yeah. this was interesting because when my dad was still working, he's retired now, but mm-hmm. throughout his career, he was an actuary, and he always okay. tried to explain to us what an actuary did, and, and he never could, <laughs> and we never figured it out, and we and at the end of the day, we like didn't care. Uh. <laughs> so I'm like, why does she care so much? Well, you know, it's funny because, like, they spent no time together before yeah. he goes off to oh, war. Yeah. And then he comes back and she's, like, has this life six years later where she's made friends and, and you know, raised her, their kid. And she wants to share. She wants to talk. She wants to be important. But, like, she's not working. She's being a mom and her husband's mm-hmm. gone. So all she has is her stories and all mm-hmm. she has is to be interesting. And she's now learning during this dinner, eh, right sizes really quick, which... Should have been learned earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we get some more of this sort of family, a bit more of this family drama when they go to a Christmas party at Philip Allen's house. Uh, Sullivan is there as well. They all share a toast to the CIA. And mm-hmm. Junior wets himself when he's on Santa's lap. Which I guess Showing... Sully freaks out about that, yeah. Yeah. And then. Wilson also meets with FBI agent Murak again. Apparently it's been eight years since they last saw each other. And did you Wilson, like how his wife was named Carolyn? I, I did notice that. <laughs> name of my wife as well. <laughs> and Wilson has been a bit suspicious of Philip Allen. So he asks uh, Murak for the FBI f- files on Philip Allen. Murak refuses, but and Wilson says, maybe someday you'll change your mind. And we cut back to 1961, where Wilson is now reading the file on Philip Allen. That is what was delivered in the uh, dry cleaning box. Yeah, which I, I have a question. Why, if they're in the United States, why are they passing it around all secretly? Can't he just go to the office and pick it up? I mean, it's, I, mean I think um, Murak says something about how he's not supposed to give, you know, FBI files to someone. It's not an official investigation. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like their own bosses don't even know about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, where is that? Oh, yeah. So, <clears throat> Alan, while he's reading the file, Alan actually comes to, into his office and tells him that there's no list of who knew about Zapata, which was the code name for uh, Bay of Pigs. Mm-hmm. And apparently the president has asked Alan who is no longer needed in the CIA and needs to find out who is responsible for the Bay of Pigs. And I was like, oh, so that's like why they were doing the, the video. Mm-hmm. It's like, it took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, flashback to 1953, uh, in a CIA comms room, a senior KGB official has contacted the Berlin chief, wants to talk directly to Wilson, is willing to provide to Wilson who the Soviet assets are in the U.S., as well as information about Ulysses in exchange for safe passage. Wilson, trying to verify if he's real or not, asks uh, this asset what uh, Ulysses' weakness is. And he says it's the cold, which is something they learned during the, their first face-to-face meeting. Mm-hmm. And this is bad if you're in the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. So Wilson meets with this asset whose name is Miranov. We find that Ulysses is obsessed with Wilson. Coming also meets with Wilson and wants to meet Miranov and has a gift for him, which is a copy of Ulysses, the book Ulysses, which is, you know, cheeky. Right. And so they go to a performance of a Russian play together. At first, I thought this was Ford Theater. It's not. Apparently, it's a place called Fairfax Music Hall. Don't know if it still exists. I was going to look it up, but forgot to. Yeah, it's nice to have some suburban locations, too. Yeah. Uh, it also reminded me of The Courier. They oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. As they're watching the performance, who else is in the theater but Laura? Oh, no. So <laughs> awkward. Yeah. So there's a cabbie outside who tells Laura he's supposed to offer her a ride, brings her to a bar where Wilson meets her. They talk, and they sleep together. Oh, no. Surprise. Well, doing that. <laughs> So Margaret and Wilson are getting ready for the annual Skull and Bones dinner. Someone has sent Margaret photos of Wilson and Laura. She confronts him at the dinner in front of everyone, throws the photos at him. Yeah, this is uh, kind of fun. So, the, so okay, so first of all, this reminded me of Parmanu when yeah? they try to frame the oh, lead guy yeah. for having an affair, even though he's not. But mm-hmm. then also, Dexter, maybe you could weigh in on this. I thought the reason why spies aren't supposed to cheat is because they could get blackmailed. Well, that's it. And, and to be honest, your spouse also might be able to give some dirt that other people don't know about you to the adversary. Hmm. But so, so what I'm saying is the bad guys here kind of played their hand too early. Hmm. If they had blackmailed him, then he might have, uh, he might have, I don't know. That would have made things pretty difficult. Oh, you mean so they should have held on to that before. Well, so here's the thing. We don't actually know who sent those photos. Could It could have been Ulysses. Could have been even rivals of his in the CIA. Could have been. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Could have that's a good point. But, you know, I think they were just trying to rattle him. And what mm-hmm. you saw, even when she came in the room and she was kind of pissed and probably drunk and, and just upset. Everybody's in shock. The people on the stage stop dancing and singing. And right. he's just stoic. He doesn't mm-hmm. react. He just looks at her, walks out with her, and lets her yeah. do her thing. And he just mm-hmm. stays who he is. Yep. Which is big plank of wood. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which is interesting, just like because you cast, you know, Matt Damon, and Matt Damon can usually, you know, he acts well. <laughs> and as, yes, uh, well, as I, I said, well, I just thought, uh, no, born, born movies, no, he's also very stoic, but it's a different kind of stoic. You see his emotions on it, but he's still very stoic. But here, it's just like blank slate, but you're still able to get something out of the, you know. Maybe. Yeah. But it was just interesting to, th- to think about, like, compare those two characters. Mm. Anyway, so, Laura is waiting for Edward outside a restaurant where Bracco meets her instead and gives... Laura the necklace that uh, she had left the la- the first time as a sort of like, you know, he's not coming back. 
<laughs> yeah. The crazy ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And Wilson is teaching Junior how to make a ship in a bottle when Margaret comes home. Do you guys like how Junior is played by Eddie Redmayne? Yeah, now it's like, apparently there's only like six and 11 years difference between him and Matt Damon. And I think it's one of them is six, one of them is 11 uh, years difference between Redmayne and then Angelina Jolie and Matt Damon. I don't remember who was actually older. But mm. yeah, so not, not it's like... What it's not that, that big of a difference, yeah. Well, it's like Sean Connery playing Harrison Ford's dad. I think there's only like eight years difference between the two of them as well. Wow. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> they look like brothers. I mean, like, it, <laughs> it was one of those things where, especially as the movie went on, you were just going, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> like, and that's the thing, too. They, you know, they definitely aged up Angelina Jolie. They didn't age Matt Damon at all. No, <laughs> not not a lot. At least they could have added a few more wrinkles or anything like that. But or like yeah. gray hair, it goes a long that way. Too, yeah. Mm-hmm. So at Junior's Glee Club performance, Ulysses and Wilson meet, and Ulysses or Wilson gives Ulysses a warning about Cuba and saying, you know, I we know that you're you know starting trying to start some stuff in there, but don't. I was like, oh good, now we're finally getting to it. <laughs> So, we are now in 1960, where JFK has announced his candidacy for the president. We have another Soviet defector who claims to be the real Miranov and says the <laughs> other guy is an imposter, get, actually says what you know his, that guy's name is. Yeah, this was interesting, too. Yeah, so they interrogate him and strip him. They waterboard him. And all this time, he's protesting that he is actually Miranov. I was like, they, couldn't they just ask him something only Miranov would know? Well, they did. Like, all of the things that they would, he he said yes to. But they all, but so did the other Miranov. Mm. I was like, just, there's got to be an easier way to figure this out. But, but if you go back to the pictures, when the, when the original Miranov came in, and they said, mm-hmm. well, he's supposed to be in these pictures. We can't really oh, identify true. him. I was looking at this guy going, he does look like one of the guys in the pictures. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and then it, the whole scene was just... Painful. I don't know if you mm. want to keep going into it, but like the, yeah, I mean, the, the waterboarding, waterboarding, yeah, the waterboarding, you know, you, we talk about that post 9-11, right? That was a big thing. Torture, waterboarding, mm-hmm. um, you know, enhanced interrogation has been going on forever. And then mm-hmm. just to see that, you know, in a room in mm-hmm. the 1960s uh, with somebody that your heart tells you is innocent or mm-hmm. the real person, it, it yeah. was very torturous. And, and yeah. then yeah. to have the imposters sitting next to Edward. Right, I didn't even talk about that. The whole side of it is just ridiculous. That's poor trade craft. You would never have him in the room. You mm-hmm. would never tell him the things that he learned. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, him, uh, Yeah. the fake Miranov, or, well, we find out later, fake Miranov, and Wilson are just behind, what, one-way glass watching this whole thing. And you're right, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, why would you have the person who, if he, if he is telling the truth, why would you have the other person there? That that makes zero sense. I mean, it's good for dramatic tension, but that's about it. Yeah, this movie was also made in 2006. So that was when that was... Enhanced interrogation ah, was very much a current issue. Of course, of course. Yeah. But in addition to that, they also give him a, this new thing that they're trying as a truth serum called LSD. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, makes him super loopy and... Uh, he's, you know, singing in Russian. And then he gets very serious and says that Russian power is a myth. Uh-huh. It's all, you know, painting rust. But we know that you need to keep it up for your military industrial complex. Yeah. So this again, this is like the post 9-11 thing. 
mm-hmm. where it's like the military industrial complex are the real bad guys. <laughs> well, you know, if, if you look at like what happened in Ukraine, how everybody said, okay, Russian's just going to steamroll through. He mm-hmm. actually said, you know, Russian is a rotted, bloated cow. You know, there's mm-hmm. no threat. Their army is painted dress. Uh, you need this threat, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that goes back to the Eisenhower industrial complex, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's very relevant mm-hmm. to today. Good point. Yeah. yeah. And so as soon as he makes this big, you know, very serious, quiet speech, he then jumps out the window and they're like at least a couple f- stories up. So he is dead as a door now after that. Well, he says, I'm free. And, you oh, know, that's right. And yeah. on top of that, he's on LSD. So it's not like people <laughs> on LSD don't jump out of windows. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so we cut over to Junior, who has been inducted into Skull and Bones. Yeah, he wants in on everything. Yeah. And he also has been recruited into the CIA. And he, you know, wants to make Wilson proud. Of course, Margaret does not like this and wants Wilson to stop him. He refuses and they have yet another big fight. Yeah. Wilson says, I'll protect him, which I thought it was like, he's definitely dead. The son. (laughs) That was a death flag. Yeah. I guess not. I, I I thought he was going to protect him. But I also thought it was interesting. He was like, look, I married you because of him. Oh, that was where he just said it. Oh, yeah. And she said nothing afterwards. Well, it's true. He's not wrong. We find out that Castro has been taking over Cuba. Wilson sees Agent Murak again and puts him in touch with someone whose casinos in Cuba were taken over. Uh, It was a seemingly a mob boss. That's that's how I read this. Yeah. This gave me... Zach, have you seen Godfather Part 2? Yes, but I don't remember it that well. There's a whole part where, you know, at the... Uh, ooh, now I can't remember what the family name in Godfather Corleone's. is. Corleone's. Yeah, yeah, Corleone's. That's right. They have a casino and they're trying to buy in and they're like getting kicked out of Cuba as Castro is nationalizing the casinos and everything. So, of course, that's what this reminded me of. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so this is played by Joe Pesci. Yeah, at his who... most Italian, do we think? <laughs> Probably somewhere around there. The extremely yeah, Italian. Make sure that make sure the kids don't go in the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make sure you wear shoes on the on the sand. You bend your feet. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fine. But he has this whole big conversation with Wilson. I know that uh, Dexter, you wanted to talk about that. Well, I thought it was pretty cool because you know they talk about even the mob thing being kind of scary, and, and Joe Pesci mm-hmm. basically looks at, at Edward and says, uh, "You guys are the ones that scare me," and, mm-hmm. and then. He kind of talks about, you know, he's been here his whole life. He's being, you know, threatened to be deported uh, if he doesn't cooperate. And he says to, to Matt Damon, the Italians have family and church. The Irish have their homeland. Jews have their traditions. Even the blacks, and he used the N-word here, mm-hmm. have their music. What do you, what do you people have? And, and Edward looks at him and says, the United States of America the rest of you are just visiting. Very I mean, interesting. Ooh, that that, yeah. that cuts deep, and that goes to the whole yeah. Yale pill and male thing, right? Mm-hmm. As someone who is not any of those, for the most part, I was, you know, sympathizing generally with Edward. But once he said, "It's like, oh, oh, I'm out." Yeah, no, no, no. This is you and me too, brother. I was like. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. Unlike you guys, I was not that sympathetic to Edward to begin with because mm. he's not that likable. Fair, fair. But he is our protagonist. But you know, so you 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 may not approve him, but you as a protagonist, you're supposed to empathize with him. Right. You're, well, yeah. empathize with him a little bit. Yeah. So 
this was very interesting, but it's only in this one part. Like, why not have it be more? This is the thing. It was so accepted that, like, when he actually said it, it was a shock to us. But if he said yeah. this to anybody he worked with, anybody around him during that time in the 50s and 60s, they would have said the same thing. So, like, I mean, you know, we, we're yeah. watching this from a 2023 mindset and, and not in a 19, you know, 61 mindset. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there was a bit of that, too, when uh, Sullivan was recruiting Wilson in the first place and said, you you know, you have the right background. You're, you're white. You're not Catholic. You're not, yeah, all this mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So it's, it, but this one was, Bart was really, you know, saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I don't mind having a flawed protagonist. It, yeah. it makes things more interesting. Also, the last thing I'm going to say about this. Yeah, yeah. Later, when his son marries this, what was she like, Mexican or something? No, no. she's Central black. American. She was black, yeah. wasn't she? Like, yeah, yeah. She's black. Yeah. So not white is the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, does, does Wilson have a reaction to this? So anything to say not. about it no he never has any reactions <laughs> to anything he's a big but, plank of wood well we'll get to it when we get there when we're right. almost there actually yeah so we go to another flashback to march 1961 which we're really starting to catch up to the present well alan and wilson are talking about the bay of pigs operation details of how many men this is all on deer island like right before or right after the big skull and bones dinner and junior is in a bath like with the his window right next to where they're talking and overhears them talking about it. Mm. And he like moves around in the bath and Wilson hears that and confronts him and tells him, or asks him if he heard anything. Of course, Junior denies it, but says that if you did, that's to stay in this room. Which, I mean, I feel like, Wilson, come on, Wilson, you're supposed to be this master of counterintelligence. You don't yeah. check if there's someone in the bathroom before you start talking about this super covert operation. I had no choice. He was in the bathroom. Well, it, it, yeah, he's taking a bath. It, the whole thing was a little just odd. You know, he's mm -hmm. not checking. His son's taking a bath. They're having this classified conversation right outside the window. And his mm -hmm. son's kind of getting out, drying himself off. And his dad's like, did you hear anything? And he's like, no, dad. And he's like, well, you yeah. did. Keep it quiet. And he's like. And at this point, he's already <laughs> in the agency, seemingly, I think. Right. Yeah. Definitely yeah. a different time. We have the, yet another Skull and Bones dinner. We find that M Margaret's father has since passed. All the couples are dancing except Wilson and Margaret. That was sad to see. Wilson asks her a dance and actually calls her Clover. He's trying to see if he can rekindle anything. And as they're dancing, she tells him that she's leaving and going to live with her mom in Phoenix. It's good to, to dance. I mean, they connected. Mm -hmm. He called her Clover. You saw her mm -hmm. spark up a little bit and saying, I haven't mm -hmm. been called that in years. Um, mm -hmm. The son got to watch his mom and dad dance. And for me, that was a little bit of closure before, mm -hmm. you know, because he couldn't have gone on the way they were going. No, no, they really couldn't have. So at least I, I, I think... It was probably, it was definitely best for them to separate like that. Mm -hmm. So back in April 1961, which I think this is, that was the last flashback and everything goes to the present or present day of April 61. Mm -hmm. The analysis team has been narrowing down where the photo was taken. They go through, I like this part. They go through all the different details and narrow it down to three different places. It could be Dakar, Abidjan, or Congolio. So Wilson goes to visit Congo Leo, sees the church bells, figures out which building it probably would have been taken at. This is a little bit far-fetched, I felt. Uh, 
the part I liked was the analysis team actually going through all of this stuff. Right. But and this part, well, a little far fetched maybe, but I mean, but they did a very good job of narrowing down. All right, it had to be this close to church bells. So he looked looked around places with the church bells. He found a place with the ceiling fan. Mm-hmm. And he spots the object that they couldn't quite make out on the nightstand. And it's the ship that he made for his son. Dun, dun, or dun. pendant thing. He sees a crack in the wall where the camera was positioned. And Ulysses shows up. I was like, wait, he's still alive? <laughs> shows him, you know, next door, which is where the people would have been taking photos from. Says that there's no cameras or tape recorders left. Everything's clean. But... Here's the rest of this recording that you you know was sent to you, confirming that it was definitely him who sent it. <laughs> and we get Junior telling, you know, the woman that he was in bed with about more about the Bay of Pigs. We find out this woman is a Russian asset. Her name is Miriam. Ulysses offers Wilson a deal. No one needs to know about this if he helps them with something, and shows him a picture of his son's lover. <laughs> After he leaves, Junior walks in, and Wilson tells Junior that Miriam's not a friendly. Uh, Junior reveals that he proposed to Miriam, and Wilson says, I can't keep you safe anymore. And they have this whole big blowout of, safe? I never felt safe. I was always (laughs) afraid. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you can't protect him from his own failings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he said he was afraid of him. He was afraid of his Mm -hmm. dad. He was afraid Mm -hmm. of dying. He was afraid of just, you know, everything around him. And Mm -hmm. and you saw that kind of growing up. I mean, he went through the motions. But this is the kind of thing where you get promoted and you get jobs based Mm -hmm. on who your connections are, not what's Mm -hmm. inside of you. And and you kind of saw that happening with him. He's gone through the steps and the processes, but he's terrified the whole time. He's not that person he's supposed to be. So he's a Nepo baby. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, Wilson goes to see Miranov and asks him to play the violin, which is a thing that both Miranovs said. You know, said. Now this is to be clear. This is the fake Miranov. Right. I was like, so they just not, never followed up on it. Seemingly not. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he and as he's you know asking him to play the violin, he goes into Miranov's office and he sees the book of Ulysses that Cummings had gave uh, Miranov and sees that the book next to it has like this has been raised a blip, which means that it's been recently looked at. So he goes to it, turns it upside down, a piece of or hair or string falls out. So he gets a little suspicious. This was in uh, Dr. No. And also 1984, <laughs> as we discussed. Yeah. Oh, you mean the hair on the, a hair on a block, yeah. Yeah. Or well, on Doctor No's hair on a door, but yes. Right. So he cuts open the cover, finds you know doc- documents with Fake Miranov's real name, which was Yuri Modin, which is exactly what the real Miranov claimed that Fake Miranov's name was, <laughs> as well as dead drop instructions. This part when he was fake, basically. Yeah. When uh, Fake Miranov gets out the violin, I definitely thought he was going to not be able to play it. So I was actually impressed when, all right, he actually knows how to play the violin and plays mm-hmm. it. And then Wilson shows him the book and it says, you know, I just wanted to hear something from you that was real. Oh, what a burn. I would think it would be a pretty big screw up if they sent him there not knowing how to play the violin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I like, though? I like how yeah. in some movies, like in action movies, right? Mm-hmm. The, the protagonist goes in and the bad guy's there and he shows him, I got you. And it's mm-hmm. them fighting. This was, mm-hmm. you know, Edward getting up and saying, we got you. <laughs> he just walks out, boys, get him. 
and they just mm-hmm. they did the work for him. Yeah. That that's real life. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember who gave you know Miranel, fake Miranel, that book in the first place. It was Cummings. So Cummings is on the phone with Wilson. We find out that he's in Moscow, and he apologizes to Wilson, and Wilson tells him. Your worst fears have come true. You're, you know, without a friend and without a country. Yeah, everyone's a traitor these days. So Wilson is on the bus again, like in the beginning. He goes to museum. So I think this is supposed to be, you know, the Smithsonian Museum or of Air Arts and, and Industry. Museum. No, it's Air and Space didn't exist until much later. Okay. So before that, anything that was Air and Space related was in the. Um, Smithsonian Museum of Arts and Industry, which only has just reopened, I think, last year. All right. It was I closed for a long still around. time. It's still around. There was nothing in it now uh, for a long time, but it reopened with a temporary exhibit last year, which was pretty cool. Anyways, mm-hmm. so there are like you know things that are now in the uh, Air and Space Museum, like a Mercury uh, capsule, some spacesuits. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking about that. I'm putting it through into logic. When did Mercury, the first Mercury launch? In the 60s, I think. It, I, so. You know what? I should know this, but I don't. Now I'm like trying to figure out, all right, was there actually a Mercury capsule even at that point? Would it already be in a museum? But that's besides the point. Uh, he meets with Ulysses there and comments that they have a whole new place to fight over, space, which you know hints at the space race. Right. Wilson declines Ulysses' offer and tells him that, you know, you failed to retake, or that the U.S. Re- failed to retake Cuba. So this is, it's all done. Don't hurt my son. <laughs> and Ulysses says, well, you know, we'll wait then when you and when we might need something from you. Might not be anything big to you, but it'll be something important to me. Mm. And there's this whole bit where Ulysses' assistant has no cash to buy his daughter a snow globe. So Wilson gives him a dollar, which I'm pretty sure is one of those same dollars from the beginning of the film, which makes me wonder, is uh-huh. his, you know, is Ulysses' assistant working for Wilson, giving him a code, you know, giving a code with the serial numbers. Well, there's so many different levels there, right? So it it could be the assistant, which is a good point. It could have been, let's just say they just made a mistake and it was beyond innocent. And then, you know, Edward's assistant sees that and gets suspicious. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that that could have been that that don't get fleshed out. But it's kind of like, what's next? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to look it up, and the first Mercury rocket, May 5, 1961. So this could be after that, but it would be very quickly afterwards. So it would not mm-hmm. be in a museum yet. I just had to find out. No, it wouldn't be in the museum. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so Miriam is getting on a plane for her wedding to Junior, and Margaret and Junior are getting ready. Uh, Wilson arrives. Junior gets out some champagne. He pops the champagne and they give a toast. And as this is happening, the pilot of the plane and one of the other people on the plane throw Miriam out of the plane with her wedding dress. It's pretty wild. There's also some death flag in there first. Some what? There's a death flag for her. I don't remember exactly what she says, but he's like, everything's great or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But then you, you just see you see her drop. See her go all the way down. <laughs> yeah, and you see the wedding dress just sort of fluttering in, you know, in the wind there. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. And we go to church bells, probably the same church bells in Congo Leo that, you know, they heard on the recording. Junior is waiting for Miriam outside the church. Wilson approaches, and Junior can tell that something is wrong. 
Margaret immediately demands to know what Wilson did. <laughs> oh, like it's his fault. <laughs> Miriam was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And of course, Wilson denies that it was actually. Does he deny? He uh, Junior's like you. You couldn't if you couldn't, and he just doesn't say anything. He just says, "I love you. I love you." And it was like, <laughs> "Oh, that's not a deny." Like, okay, so do we think was it Ulysses? Was it Wilson? Who? Who do you? What do you think? It was Ulysses. The thing is, when they were sitting there in the in the Smithsonian together, uh-huh. uh, he talked about you know Edward said, "Don't touch my son." You know, mm-hmm. we're we're kind of even. We lost to the Bay of Pigs. Let let it go. And then mm-hmm. Ulysses brings up the, the fiance. And mm. when he does that, kind of going back to what Joe Pesci said, um, you know, and, and how Edward responded to him. Ulysses mentions the fiance who's black and mm. who's, you know, going to be part of his family. And he said, how do you feel right. about this? And, and Edward doesn't say anything. And mm. he basically just gave him the okay to, to make it happen. Inter- so interesting. All right. All right. Because I I was of their opinion that it was, you know, that it was Wilson because if it was Ulysses, Ulysses wouldn't have something to hold over his head the rest of the time and get, you know, say, you know, later on in, you know, future years. And I thought that it was Wilson just getting rid of that loose end that way, you know, well, they wouldn't have had, anything to hold him. They both had a desire to get rid of her. Like, yeah. you know, Ulysses, she knows a lot. And, and she's oh, yeah. in love with this young man and they're going to get married. And he's going to be, she's going to be part of the family. She's getting out of the business now. Mm-hmm. And, and Edward's not going to trust her. Ulysses isn't going to trust her. So Edward says nothing when Ulysses is like, let's get rid of her. Interesting. All right. I didn't interpret it that way. I think he may not be super enthusiastic about non-white people, but he loves his son more. I don't think he would do something to intentionally... I think if like he that. knew she was pregnant, he might have had other thoughts. I agree with like, that. Like, like son, yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know what? I also think so. I don't think it was just the color thing. I think it was like uh-huh. just the hardcore tradecraft thing. You right. Know? So mm-hmm. the color thing was part of it, and that that's shown through the Joe Pesci speech. But the, the yeah. tradecraft piece, where they both can't trust her, mm-hmm. is something that they both have an incentive to to get rid of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Hayes and Wilson meet in the new uh, Langley facilities. They're standing on the seal. I think this has got to be the first time, Zach, in our movies that we've seen the seal, but not the stars. Right. But of course, this is new facilities, so there are no stars yet. Mm. We find out that Alan is resigning. Something about Swiss bank accounts. They say that uh, he's been hiding away money for years, and someone sent the statements in a box of swiss chocolates which early in the film he said are his yeah. weakness mm-hmm. hayes will be the new director and wilson will be the new counterintelligence head yeah and they have a good laugh at the idea of oversight mm-hmm. i thought that was kind of funny but also yeah. you know funny and sad yeah yeah no well, it is i just loved how they ended it he basically said you know you're going to be the cia's heart and soul Mm, which yeah. is t- going back to going back to Donovan thing. Sullivan, yep. right? <laughs> so, so yeah, Sullivan, Sullivan Donovan, Donovan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And our last scene in the movie is Wilson opening a secret safe in his home, and he takes out his father's suicide note and opens it and reads it. And in it, his father admits that he betrayed his country, and tells his son to live a good life. Mm. And then Wilson burns the note. So dramatic. Did he love a good life? I don't know. I like how when he, you know, the, he burns it and then it like, flo- like the ashes floats and he like catch- catches it in the ashtray. But, you know, it was, it was kind of deeper than that because you, you had this note, right? So in the oh. note, this is this is what I take out of it. 
Yeah. He basically, you know, got sucked into a honeypot and, and yep. you know, got caught and got compromised. And so he's apologizing to his wife. He's apologizing to his son. And he's telling his son, take care of the things that matter. Don't compromise yourself because the things that really matter, you know, country, family, both together can work. And in the end, he's reading this when it's too late, where the country part has gone forward, but the family part has absolutely fallen apart. So it's, it's bittersweet. Okay, so that is the movie. Now it's time for Spy Fact versus Fiction. Uh, why don't I go last? Because I don't want to cover something you guys already have done. Okay. Actually, Dexter, as our guest, the guests usually go first. So yeah. do you want to go uh, first? I'm honored. Thank you. I, You know, the thing that drove me absolute crazy during this movie was mm-hmm. the, the vetting of the original Marinoff. I, I just mm-hmm. I just couldn't even, with all the levels of secrecy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with him killing his mentor, with, with you know, the the deaf interpreter being killed, with, with not communicating with his family, and then getting this Russian and going, okay, you play the piano or the violin, and, and you, these are your parents, and, and you know you grew up, and, and you, yeah, okay, <laughs> let, come on in, sit next to me. And... <laughs> It made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. It just drove me absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. The level of vetting. I know a lot of uh, former Russian spies that are in the U.S. Some are pretty young and some are older. Um, Some are FSB, some are KGB. Mm -hmm. All of them were vetted to the (laughs) utmost. And, and, you know, now they're they're free after they've been thoroughly vetted, but they're also not going to be sitting next to a CIA agent every day. (laughs) (laughs) So that drove me crazy. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I, I did like the hair piece. I don't think a lot of folks, so when he opens the book and that piece of hair falls out, a lot of folks, they, they were like, okay, what's the significance of that? Well, that allows Marinoff to know, or the fake Marinoff to know mm-hmm. that somebody's opened the book and somebody's mm-hmm. been snooping. Yep. That hair is removed. We've seen it in the past used on doors, as you've mentioned. We've seen it in the past used on drawers in hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that people really do do, but it's one of those things that kind of blends between movies and real life. Um, there are more sophisticated ways to do it, but in a pinch, that's the kind of way you would get away with it. I really couldn't do it. Um, but, you know, uh, you guys could. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think my, well, sure. my hairs are up, my hair shoulder length. So might be a little obvious if you see one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have options. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, and, and I really liked kind of like what Zach was saying earlier, you know, or maybe it was you, Christian, uh, the room when they were kind of analyzing the video and the audio really parsing the pieces of it. If you notice, there were some things that were kind of silenced. There were some things that were blurred. There were some things that were added. Um, there was some dialogue that you could hear, some that you couldn't hear. It, it's an art. And that's not like the sexy part of the business. It's not out there. None of this movie was crazy sexy, to be honest. But mm-hmm. you're not out there shooting, running around. You're in a room listening, you know, manipulating sound and images for hours, trying to, to, to learn as much as you can. And so many people back in the day at the origin and origins of the CIA, we're kind of creating things from scratch. Mm-hmm. It, there weren't even movies about this stuff. There wasn't even like an imagination where you could go, okay, how do they do it in the movies? It's mm-hmm. like, we have nothing. Let's build this out and let's bring in the best and the brightest. And let's also try to bring in people that, you know, this is what we try to do now, bring in people that are different, that mm-hmm. don't have that singular mindset of like skull and bones yell. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I thought that was pretty interesting too. I, you're right. You mentioned George Bush earlier and, and, and the secret societies. I, I do remember um, I knew a lot of young folks whose parents uh, had gone to school with, with George Bush and they were roommates. So they were really close. And they, 
they got political appointments, but they were really smart. They were really mm -hmm. qualified. I guess, you know, uh, that connection kind of helps Famili familiarity helps. We're trying to do more now, you know, within the counterterrorism bureau at the state department, we were at 5% um, of African-American black, you know, employment. And mm -hmm. most of that was like secretaries and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. at one point I was the most senior counterterrorism official uh, in the state department that was a minority and that, that, that's sad. So mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to do a lot more back in the day though. It was insane. Hmm. I'll get off my soapbox for now. Oh, no, no, no. Thank <laughs> you for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Feel free to share. Do any other, not even really nitpicks, corrections of the movie? I mean, just as being a dad in general, it, it tore at my heart when, when he's, his son's like, can you tell me a story? Can you sit next to me for a minute? And his dad's like, you know, nowadays the world's different. When my kids need me, I'm there. I can look at my phone and see who's calling and it could be crazy important. Well, my boys need me. I'm there because you can't make up that time. Um, mm. and, and I think that a lot of folks are starting to do that maybe post pandemic, but, uh, it, up until, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's been country mission, country mission, and, and you can do both. You can have it all. And that's mm -hmm. just something that fundamentally disappointed me as a dad and as a, as a national security, um, player uh I, I was not happy with that mm -hmm. all right uh christian how about you so i got a couple of things uh what i've got from the jfk presidential library is about the bay of pigs um mm -hmm. now it happened on uh, we talked about this in april 1961 and there were 1400 cuban exiles launched what became a botched invasion at the bay of pigs on the south coast of cuba um so and that's just a brief overview of what the Bay of Pigs is for anyone who doesn't know what that is. Uh, what else? So I have Kim Philby. So Arch Cummings was based on Kim Philby, who is mm. one of the Cambridge Five. We've talked about them before briefly. I think we touched on it when we covered... Uh, uh, imitation Game? Yeah, we imitation. haven't had a dedicated movie about them. Yeah. No, we haven't. Actually, there is a good series... Out. I believe it's called A Spy Among Friends based on the book by Ben McIntyre, which we have not covered. I also have the book, which I haven't read, read yet, but I do want to do something on them. But we've had a lot, a couple of different movies which sort of touched on them, but didn't really talk mm. about them. And I know that the Spy Museum also has a great exhibit on Kill Philby itself, uh, himself. It, they have, I think, one of the only uh, existing recordings of his voice there. So if you're over there, check it out, you know. As, as listeners won't know, I'm a big fan of the Spy Museum and a volunteer, so anytime I can promote that. So Edward Wilson is based on James Angleton, uh, who did go to Yale but was not a member of Skull and Bones. Philip Allen was based on Alan Dulles, who was, the first, I believe, the first director of CIA. Mm -hmm. um, Richard Hayes is based on Richard Helms, who was deputy director, and uh, but was not the direct... Uh, successor to Alan Dulles. As we talked about, William Sullivan was based on Wild Bill Donovan, or, or William Donovan more formally. Uh, Ray Brocco was based on Ray Rocca, who was uh, J James Angleton's uh, loyal deputy. Uh, Sam Murek was based on Sam, Sam Popich, who was also an FBI agent. Oh, Yuri Modin was based on Anatoly Galitsyn, uh, who... From The Courier. Right? No, no. Uh, I don't believe so. But Anatoly Galitsyn is also the, a name of a character that they used in the first Mission Impossible as the fake, atta as the like 
fake attache and their whole big mole hunt. Okay. Yeah, I knew it sounded uh, familiar. Yeah. Uh, and as, as we mentioned, Arch Cummings is based on Kim Philby. So I do have a bit on Skull and Bones. Or if I can find it. So actually, I found an article from The Insider which says you know, mentions the 13 most powerful members of Skull and Bones. So they include William Taft, mm. uh, George H.W. Bush, William Buckley, and John Kerry. Well, that sounds about right. Yeah. And know, both, both, both parties. Mm-hmm. What, what so, do they all have in common? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so much. <laughs> yeah. And also from Yale University, apparently in 1992, there was a short standoff um, to allow women into Skull and Bones. And now uh, both men and women are allowed into Skull and Bones. All right. Uh, lastly, I do have an article from the New York Times, which is actually about the death of uh, Sidney Gottlieb, who is actually the person who, br- the doctor who brought uh, LSD to the CIA. And it says that, so this is confirmation that in the 50s and early 60s, the agency gave mind-altering drugs to hundreds of unsuspecting Americans in an effort to explore the possibilities of controlling human consciousness. Many of the guinea pigs were mental patients, prisoners, drug addicts, and prostitutes, people who could not fight back, as one agency put it. Mm-hmm. So they did use it, and this is, I believe, part of what was known as MK Ultra. The experience was useless, Mr. Gottlieb, Concluded in 1972, shortly before shortly before he retired. Hmm. I think we talked about this briefly, but waterboarding. I guess I only became aware of it once it came out. You know, post the Iraq War and post 9/11. But mm-hmm. according to Wikipedia, it has been used in various places and points in history, including the Fl- Spanish and Flemish Inquisitions, and and during the Philippine American War. So it's been around for a long time. Wow. It has been. I mean, I, I went through Sears School, which is survive, evade, resist, escape, mm-hmm. like back in 96. So, you know, almost 30 years ago. And they torture you and they mm. simulate what it's like to be mm. in a real, um, you know, prisoner of war scenario. And, and you do all you can. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's a two week process and you're, it's different every time. And I can't go into all the details. It's not classified what I did, but mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you want people to be surprised um, because once you go through something, you, you're actually better at it. You know, you're, you're kind of more used to it. You're not as scared. You know, when people are, are sleep depriving you and, and blowing smoke at you and smacking you and playing psychedelic music. I remember, um, gosh, I remember them playing music. We couldn't sleep for days. And, and then they had this little girl's voice come on and she said, Daddy, come home. They're hurting mommy and she's crying. Daddy, come home. And I, I'm 24 wow. at the time, so wow. I don't have any kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's still pulled at my heartstrings, but the guys with kids are just falling. jeez. Oh, so, you know, there's 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 different levels of it, but torture, you know, we I think that's kind of gotten controversial. When the Spy Museum mm-hmm. opened, we saw um, the, the, the one section that focused on certain torture devices and it right. had Malcolm Nance's waterboard mm-hmm. kit. Uh, it, it looked like it was being promoted. It wasn't. I think just because right. you can talk about something doesn't mean you agree with it. And and that's what the museum's doing. They're talking yeah. about it. And I know that they'd also, I believe, fairly, re- well, before the pandemic, they had revamped that whole section to make it maybe more explicit that, no, obviously, we do not promote torture. And that is, you know, it's against, you know, a lot of different things. So, yeah. 
but it is but it is also important to talk about it and to make it aware you know what is out there yeah yeah that's what museums are for all right so zach what do you have I went directly to the top. I went to CIA.gov where they have Studies in Intelligence, Volume 51, Number 1, discussion with CIA historians Gary McCollum, Nicholas Dujmavik, and CSI Lessons Learned staff member Thomas Coffey. So a few highlights from that. They do talk in quite detail about the plot and all of the people are. Okay, so Gary says, for Bay of Pigs, there were 1,500 cubits involved, mm-hmm. and many of them talked to friends and relatives. This idea that, like, one person saying one thing blew the whole operation <laughs> is not correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, according to Nicholas, the film makes the CIA look better because it implies that it would have succeeded were it's it not, not for the league. No, yep. there were a lot more problems with it than just that. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a bit of a timeline issue. I don't really understand what their complaint is. But then... At the end, Philip Allen is forced to resign, allegedly because of this money in a Swiss bank account. Uh, That's not true. I think it was more that he was fired because of the Bay of Pigs. Mm -hmm. Like, he he took the fall for that. A couple more things. They mentioned that in 1961, it's a very important year in CAA history because the Bay of Pigs made it known. Mm -hmm. Like, people didn't even know about it. Like, ordinary people didn't even know the CAA existed before the Bay of Pigs. And then finally, something I noticed is when they go to the Congo at one point, they go to a place called Leopoldville. So mm-hmm. yep. King Leopold was this brutal king of Belgium. So you know how Belgium like colonized the Congoans and treated them really badly? I think that was under the reign of King Leopold. Okay. So he's the one that it was named after. Uh, okay, and that is all I have for Spy Fact versus Fiction. Next, we have our favorite quotes. Dexter, as our guest, would you like to go first? I think I touched on the line. I, you know, when um, <laughs> when Joe Pesci and Matt Damon are talking, uh, I'm pulling it up again. But mm-hmm. but Joe Pesci specifically uh, talks about how he is. Uh, the Italians have family and church. Irish have their homeland. Jews have their traditions. Even blacks, and he uses the N word, have their music. What do you people have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Edward looks at him and says, "The United States of America. The rest of you are just visiting." I, you know, that that just kind of cut to my core, kind mm-hmm. of shook me a little bit because it's true. And that's that's how they felt. Didn't stop what they were doing, but they didn't see these other groups as part of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw them as folks that, that they can use and manipulate it as they need to. Mm-hmm. I, I like Sullivan's comments when he's getting in the taxi, when he's leaving Edward's house and he says, I love this country. No matter what anyone tells you, there's no one you can really trust. I'm afraid we're just clerks too. Because mm-hmm. he basically... Mm-hmm. I should have alluded with this prior, but when, when they were talking about civilian oversight, you know, when, when Donovan was talking to Edward in the house and he says, you know, we're going to create this new organization talking about the CIA and talking about the need for civilian oversight and how Sullivan is requesting this be a mandatory part of it. Um, Edward seems shocked and, and he says, how can you have a covert organization with people looking over your shoulder, civilian oversight? And, uh, then Sullivan looks at him and says, "Do you know how? Do you know who gave Hitler his power? Clerks and bookkeepers, mm-hmm. civil servants. So for him to kind of go back in the taxi and say, you know, I'm afraid we're just clerks and civil servants too, basically says, hey, don't think you're above the fray. We need mm-hmm. to be checked. We need to make sure that you know. It, it reminds me of George Washington to a certain extent, where you you have these folks who can have all this power, but they know." 
the bigger good of the, the country and the people. It's not about them. And this is something I tell my team and, and, and our inner agency all the time. It's not about you. It's about the mission. You know, I don't care if your flight showed up 10 hours late and, and you got no sleep. You still got a job to do. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you, you can't. You, there are times where you got to just be selfless and make things happen. And I saw that in Sullivan. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of George Washington. None of them are perfect, but I saw people that could have abused power in a really significant way uh, not do that. <laughs> yeah. All right, Zach, do you want to go next? Uh, sure. So I did like a couple of, of Dexter's. I, I liked when they're at the, the meeting and Angelina comments, Bonesman first, God second. And she later changes that to Bonesman first, or agency first, God second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also liked it's something about painted rust. And someone says, it's a dirty business. So I like that. And then finally, we make sure the wars are small ones. <laughs> Which I suppose was fair enough. I don't yeah. know if the, you call the Vietnam War small, but <laughs> it's all relative, I guess. Right. So I've got a couple. I've got, this one is from, uh, I think it's from Fre- uh, Fredericks, who says, the very qualities that make a good intelligence officer, a suspicious mind, a love of complexity and detail, are the very qualities of someone you'll be observing. Mm-hmm. And then also from him, it says, everything that seems clear is bent, and everything that seems bent is clear. <laughs> and lastly, I've got two from like one of the end scenes for, uh, with uh, now uh, you know recently promoted director Hayes, who says, I've got an oversight meeting. Can you imagine? They think they, think they, they can look into our closet as if we'll let them. So this goes back into what you were saying, Dexter. Let them try. Yeah. Absolutely. And lastly, I've got, I remember a senator once asked me when we talk about CIA, why we never use the word the in front of it. And I asked him, do you put the word the in front of God? <laughs> so is that arrogance there? That's yeah. It's completely scary. true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty. All right, so now it is time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis, 1 being Avengers 1997, 10 being Better Than No Time to Die. Uh, how would we rate The Good Shepherd? Are we going to still make Dexter go first? I will give it a 7.5 because I thought it was... Um, it walked that line between... Act, there was no action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no aging. <laughs> there was there, there. It was a long movie. A lot of times... They were whispering. I had to actually turn on my, you know, uh, your caption. Yeah, my <laughs> caption, so I can hear some of the things he was saying. Uh, but that being said, if you stick with it and and you know you watch it and you listen and learn, it, it was worthwhile. Um, it's not a knock out the park, but it was something that I'm glad I saw. Mm-hmm. Zach, before I go into it, Dexter, you requested to do this one. Did no, I didn't. No, didn't? no, no, I did. No, it was mutual agreement. This Christian sent me an email saying, hey, we're going to do The Good Shepherd. When do you want to do it? Oh, I misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So I, actually, I think you had, we, we'd been communicating back and forth, and you'd mentioned a couple of things that you had props from. I think you said you had some like crew jackets from this movie. Oh, no, I have the um, I have the crew gift. A oh, crew so gift. This is from, uh, uh, it says The Good Shepherd, and it has the dates 8.15.05 to 1.30.06. Thanks for all your hard work and effort. Love, Bob. Oh, Aww. from Robert De Niro, who directed the movie. It is, and it's a camera. It's a camera. Oh, what? <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, the lighter flips up, and there's a camera underneath it. 
Dexter, if you don't mind, do you mind sending us some photos that we can put it on our social media to promote this episode? Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much. We appreciate, we really appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, so that's, yeah, that is why we're doing this. I think it was because of the, you had mentioned a couple of different things and I looked through your list. And I was like, Oh, we've not covered the good shepherd and I've been wanting to do that. So it was actually, it was me who wanted to do this, Zach. Just it was I. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Good. Well, I disagree. I found this movie boring. <laughs> very, very boring. Oh, hot it, takes from Zach. Christian, it made Torah, Torah, Torah look like Taken. Wow. That is shocking because I thought this would have been right up your alley. No way, dude. It was so boring. It was wow. so much Matt Demon like staring out the window <laughs> with no expression on his face. Oh, wow. All no, right. It didn't help that I watched it late at night. Uh, but it, this movie would be very good as a sleep aid. <laughs> The parts that brought me out of the coma, like the part where they throw the fiance out of the plane and the conversation mm-hmm. with you, like the parts where I like got woke up, like it was okay, but it's not enough to save the movie. I'm wow. sorry. I didn't learn that much about the birth of the CIA. It is, wasn't even really about that. I like the music. I like the singing. I, I like the parts of the two songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will give it three and a half martinis. Wow. Wow, hot takes, hot takes. Like, yeah, that's, so like, we did the tuxedo, and that's bad comedy, but at least it wasn't boring. This was boring. (laughs) That's worse. That is. This was more like reading a book, right? It was like Uh reading that long book where you're, like, learning something, and it's a little bit of studying, and that's the way I took it. But I get Mm -hmm. your point, man. It didn't have that flashy, instant gratification, sexy thing going on. It was very much like... Okay, I had to watch it. I got to tell you, I broke it every three days. Oh, yep, yep. Uh, that, that, Maybe that would have helped. Yeah. I, I, also, I also broke broke this one up. Um, I think it was over two days. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to lean more towards, um, <laughs> towards Dexter's rating. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 martinis. I did, like, I'd seen this before. And the first time I saw it, I, my opinions were much closer to Zach's. Uh-huh, where I, like this is also the same year that Casino Royale came out. Um, mm. I think Mission Impossible Three came out that same year as well, if I recall. It was around that time, so it was you know that was the mode of spy movie I was in at that time, and this was not that. Now, having watched a lot of other spy movies, learning more about actually the history of the CIA, learning, I think you know bringing in a little bit of that Kim Philby angle who I have, you know, a soft spot and interest in mm-hmm. that got me more. And, you know, I guess, you know, learning more about sp- you know, actual intelligence work as opposed to, you know, your Hollywood stuff that got me more interested in what this movie was trying to say. I was also fascinated how on, you know, on one hand, like you said, Zach, in, mm-hmm. uh, in the spy fact versus fiction, it portrays the CIA in a better light. In the other hand, it also portrays it in a worse. Like, you know, I, th- I don't know if you talked about this, that, you know, or I think you did, that they basically acute, you know, frame in the character based on Alan Dulles as being, comp- you know, corrupt, right. which yeah. no, if I recall, I think I read in the article, it said, you know, no actual director of the CIA has been accused of embezzling money. So that is a real big accusation of there. And this is probably why they changed the names from, you know, Alan Dulles to Philip Allen, but you know, it's still close enough where someone who, you know, maybe who doesn't do their homework on this will say, oh, yeah, that, yeah, the, one of the heads of the CIA was definitely embezzling money. And now yeah. that's just what they think. Yeah. So, it was also, an interesting um, way to just straddle a line of, all right, you make it, you want to tell a story. And you, like we mentioned earlier, this is post, you know, Iraq War, post 9 11. So they have a specific narrative they want to weave. 
while also actually weaving in some real history. So it, was, it walked that line. But it, for me, watching it a second time was better than a first, definitely. Yeah. So seven out of ten. I should say the it said it made the city look better specifically about the Bearcats, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Also, we tend to watch these movies on Vudu, which shows you the tomato meter when you bring it up. Oh, see, I, saw, I don't pay attention to that usually. Well, I, no, I know, but I didn't know anything about this movie, and I saw it was 56% when I started watching, so I think ah, I was expecting it to be bad. I see. Okay, all right. I, I bet you this. I bet you, because Christian and I both saw it for the second time. I bet you if you ever, like 10 years from now, you watch mm-hmm. it again, it's going to go up because it gets deeper. The first time, I was like, what? This is, <laughs> I agree with you. I would have given it a three. But after kind of listening and watching the words go by in, in the times, because, I, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, Okay, I missed something. I guess it wasn't that important. They're whispering. If they're whispering, it's probably just not meant to be heard. Yeah. Now I'm going, wow, I didn't know they said that. And uh, it was just somewhat deeper. I think also it depends on where you are in your life because I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, James Bond movies. And there are movies that I liked more, you know, when I was younger that, that were the Sean Connery types, right? But then you go up now and as a dad with two boys and you know, watching No Time to Die and, and how that played out, I had more empathy as a dad. And I, I think as a mm-hmm. dad watching this, seeing him fail with his son, seeing him fail with his wife, I was like, I, nah, you got to do better. And I, mm-hmm. I was looking at it more critical and I, that pulled me in a little bit more too. So I think it depends on what kind of commonality you have to it. That is interesting because, yeah, I, like you, I, I, well, I'm a recent father and I'm married, whereas Zach is near those things. And that's, you know, so maybe it's just not, you're not the audience for it yet, Zach. Could be. I mean, I, I understand see where you guys are coming from, but my opinion remains. Oh, as no. And that is rightfully your opinion. No. <laughs> yeah. But that's just, I was just, because as we go on these things, you, usually I like the real sort of fantastical ones. I think they're fun. And you mm-hmm. usually like the more real world, you know, based on true story things. So when you came out swinging with that three and a half, I was shocked. Shocked. I mean, well, this one has a weird thing where it's... It's true. It's not quite... Yeah. It's, based, it's vaguely based on true events, but, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of character names are changed and motivations are ch- changed. And yeah, so I can see your point there. So we'd like to definitely thank Dexter for joining us for this episode. My pleasure. Yeah, and thanks for being on. Um, we uh, and This is also just a giant plug for the Spy Museum because that is how we met. We met at the Parade of Trabants, was it last year? And we, yeah. And we, you know, you told us you had a cool, lot of cool stuff, and I was like, "Well, hey, you know, we'd love to talk to people with lots of cool stuff, and especially who have that real world experience in the intelligence business that we do not." Right. So, well, it's been fun, and thank you, the audience, for joining us. You can find us on social media at the Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find our merch store at RedBubble.com. Until next time, I'm Zach, and I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. 
This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.